We are very encouraged to hear what God is doing through City Life to change lives. If you have a story to share of how City Life has impacted you, please let us know at story at citylifecenter.org. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. Our desire is to make Jesus known. We pray that these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Happy Father's Day to all of you. I want you to go ahead and get your notes and your Bibles out. Open your Bibles or your Bible app to 1 Kings 18. Each summer, I like to share five or six messages uh, that's based upon Bible characters. Uh, I, I, I tend to call these people Bible heroes. Really, they're just normal people who accomplished extraordinary things. But, but what I really want to do in this series is narrow the gap a little bit and help us to learn from these people, learn from their stories, and integrate their kind of faith into our lives because they really were normal people. Today, we're taking a look at a guy by the name of Elijah. Say Elijah. Now, there's another guy in the Bible by the name of Elisha. Now, you have to understand, I was raised in church, and so when I heard about Elijah and Elisha, I thought Elisha had to have been Elijah's wife. I, I thought that for the longest time until I realized he was the other prophet who, like when Elijah was taken into heaven, he took over Elisha. I was like, but, but wouldn't that be like the girl name? I don't know. They did names weird back then, but this is the Elijah. Jah, not Elisha, and he came first. But and honestly, as a kid, Elijah was one of my favorites. And so I, I've entitled today's message, uh, Bold Yet Fearful. And, and I've, I've always seen Elijah as a man who was one of the most bold, courageous men in the Bible, honestly. Yet at the same time, he also suffered with fear. Uh, he, he was a fearful guy, yet he was still a hero, and, uh, and he was actually a hero of courage. I want to ask you this question. Have you, uh, have you ever wondered about this and think about this? Are courageous people ever fearful? Well, I think so. In fact, I know so. But we can deal with that and we can process that fear. Hey, now, I, I recall this time when I was uh, about eight years old and lived in Odessa, Texas, as I was out there visiting my parents. And it just reminded me, all these uh, memories came rushing back of when I was younger, and I, uh, I, I was just enjoying the whole thing, and, and, and I even took Ian, my, my youngest son, with me, and, and, I, and I drove by my old elementary school, and, and there on the playground, they actually had some of the same swing sets they had when I was there. The name of the uh, school was called Pease Elementary. You know, it, it, it's not like, what school do you go to? Peas. Oh, great, great. I go to carrots. You know, it's like green beans. But, but, uh, but, but I, I looked there and I, I saw the playground and had all these memories come rushing back. And it's funny because the memories that came rushing back were all the fights that I had on the playground. You know, it was there. I, I, I started telling you, yeah, I had a fight there, 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 and there. And they used to have a big sandbox there. And that's where like five kids came and ganged up on me. And we had a fight. I, I, I can't, it's like, what, where, where, I, I know I was a good kid, I, uh, but, but those things just happen. But, but as I was there, I had these memories kind of rushing back, and, and one of the memories that I had was when I was eight years old, is, is there was this angry drunk man, I'm not going to go into the details of the story, but he showed up at our front door with a 44, and he was going to kill my dad. Uh, that's the joy of ministry, you know. <laughs> but my dad, in response to this, seeing him bring the gun up to the door, my dad uh, pulled out his 308 hunting rifle. <laughs> now, and he was going to protect the family. 
He told me, he told my little sister, and he told my mom, go to the back of the house. You guys get down on the floor and pray. And we prayed like crazy, you know. And, uh, you know, after the whole thing was over, talked it through with my dad. It's like, Dad, were you afraid? And you bet. But was Dad, dad courageous? Well, of course. Of course he was courageous. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, little did that drunk guy know that, that my dad was an army shop, sharpshooter. And, and, in fact, even last week, uh, it, it, it's, he did, I asked him about that. He said, well, it just came natural to me because growing up I had to go out and kill squirrels and other game to provide food for the family. We didn't have a scope. We had nothing. We just wanna, I just knew how to shoot good. And my dad knew how to use a gun. Uh, but another thing is... That other guy on the other side of the door with the 44, he was in trouble because my dad, my dad had a big God. <laughs> and interestingly enough, I mean, that man took the gun and just put it right back into his pants and turned around and walked off. It was one of the most amazing moments. My dad was courageous. I'm grateful for a courageous dad. Elijah was too. In fact, in fact, you can find Elijah's story. It covers several chapters in the Bible. It starts in 1 Kings chapter 17, and it goes all the way over to 2 Kings chapter 2. I really encourage you just to sit down and read his story. It is, it is a roller coaster. And you know, there should be a movie about this guy. Uh, it, but, but, but I want to give you some background. He lived back in the time of Ahab, the king of Israel. Now, Ahab was an extremely wicked king and and he even had a more wicked wife she was more wicked than than him you want to say wickeder i don't know if that's a word but it was he was definitely she was wickeder you ever heard of the name jezebel well that's not a nice lady uh, name for a lady you wouldn't name a lady jezebel would you well that's who ahab's wife was she was a murderous seductress and manipulator she was the original authentic jezebel all right so Ahab was king, but Queen Jezebel ran the show. Now, in that time, you might make King Ahab upset, and you could potentially get away with it, but if you made Jezebel upset, if you got on her bad side, look out, because she, honestly, she was vicious, and she was bloodthirsty, and Ahab allowed it. He was even scared of her himself. I mean, wouldn't you? So Ahab and Jezebel though instead of advancing the worship of God, which is what the king should have done, he, they, they, they accelerated the worship of idols, two idols in particular, Baal and another one of Asherah. In fact, Ahab even had a temple built for this idol Baal in Israel. And, and so what, what happened is Jezebel thought, well, the way to deal with this and, and, and to saturate the, uh, the area with, with a new culture, a new idol-worshiping culture, is they started importing all of these, uh, these priests and, and prophets of Baal and Asherah, and they just brought in this huge entourage, hundreds, possibly even thousands of them, into Israel to lead Israel in idol worship. And it was a very bold move, and it did shift the whole culture in Israel. But then at that same time, that's when Elijah comes on the scene. Elijah was raised up by God to confront Ahab regarding everything that was going. And this is just a little side note. Whenever evil is present, God does raise up a person to deal with it or a group or something or a church. Well, this, the, the Elijah, he was that someone. Now, at the same time though, Ahab and Jezebel were not repentant for leading Israel deeper into spiritual darkness. So Elijah issued a judgment on the land. All right? Now, 
Another little side note here is, is God does send judgments, but the reason he sends judgments is to change people's ways so that people will repent and change their ways, not because God wants to be mean. But what Elijah then did is he prayed and he declared that there would be this, uh, this catastrophic drought in all of Israel. In fact, the Bible says it would be so severe that there would not even be dew that would form for three years. And you can imagine how that would wreck an economy and cause horrific misery, and sure enough, it happened. Yet, at the same time, Ahab and Jezebel, they remained steadfast in their wickedness, and, and Jezebel would even round up the priests of God and have them executed. Uh, so so they, they were just determined to uproot and destroy the worship of God, and they really didn't even care about the consequences on their own lives or on the nation and cause all the suffering because of their actions. Well, the, this, the encounter I'm going to talk about, or the part of Elijah's uh, life I'm going to talk about today, happened at a place called Mount Carmel. And, and, uh, and, and so this is where courage was seen. Courage at Carmel. Say courage at Carmel. Okay, now, now you see where it's found in the Bible, where well, you can follow along, 18, chapter, six, uh, chapter 18, verse 16, because I do want you to follow along with this story. And please understand, uh, it's now you've been three years of drought. Things are really, really bad. Elijah is about to show this huge courage with a showdown at Mount what? Carmel. All right. Side note. Hey, hey uh, do any of you guys like caramels? Okay, again, I was, I, like I told you, I was raised in church and... Uh, and, and, and I, when I was, I was a kid, whenever they talked about Mount Carmel, I always thought about caramels. Now, I know that that's actually Carmel, and I know that the things you eat are called caramels, but still, let's just call them caramels, okay? And, 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 and so today, I, I have with me a, a risen, but it looks like risen, kind of like he is risen, you know, like kind of Christian candy or something like that. Risen, chewy, this is chewy caramel covered in rich European chocolate. <laughs> now, I know it's not the same as Mount Carmel, but I'm telling you, I had, to, I had to prepare this message, and it was tough preparing this message and not have a caramel nail bribe because ever since I was a kid, I just, I, the, the two had to go together. Well, anyway, back to the story. All right, well, Elijah had been hiding this entire time uh, because there was this execution warrant that was out for him. And so God, told, uh, God then told Elijah at the end of the three years, he said, okay, I want you to go and present yourself now to King Ahab, and I'll tell you what to do when you get there. And so he was on his way, and he crossed paths with a guy by the name of Obadiah. Now, Obadiah was the palace administrator. He was kind of like the second in command. And he was secretly a believer in God who was actually hiding priests in caves, hiding them from... Queen Jezebel so they wouldn't get executed. Well, Elijah ran into Obadiah and, 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 uh, and then he told Obadiah, hey, I, I need to set up a meeting with the king. And Obadiah said, are you crazy? You, he, he'll, he'll kill you. But Elijah said, no, we're going to meet anyway. So now pick it up, verse 16. Here's the story. So, so I, Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Elijah didn't even have to go to meet Ahab. Ahab came to meet him. So when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? He says, I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, 
summoned the people from all over Israel to meet at Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, I'm just telling you, that's a big table. I just don't know. How, that, that, that's kind of crazy. It says, so Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel, and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people. So there's 850 of them at least, and whoever, who knows how many other people are there. And he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. These are really the spectators. They just said, they said nothing. So Elijah said to them, okay, I am the only one of God's prophets that's left, but Baal has 450 prophets over here, so get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put, put it on the wood, and, uh, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and will set it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, Baal, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is the God. Now, the wood, whichever God causes the fire to, to burn up the sacrifice, that's the real God. Then all the people said, okay, you know, this, this sounds like a good, good test. This, well, let's, let's go ahead and try this. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, go ahead and choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. They get their choice. Since, uh, he, and he says, since there's so many of you, go ahead and start doing it. We'll let you do it first. And call on the name of your God, just don't light the fire. And then, he, then they took the bull given to them and they prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. They're saying, Baal, answer us. They shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar that they had made. A at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. And I, I guess this is the part of Elijah's that I just really like. Maybe this is why I got in fights on the playground. I don't know. But he said, shout louder. He said, surely he is a God. Well, perhaps he's deep in thought. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and needs to be awakened. You know what they did? So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued in their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. Can you imagine this? This is crazy. This has gone, all, gone on all day. But there was no response. No one answered. No one even paid attention. And then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him, and he prepared the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. He took the 12 stones, one for each of the tribes that descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug, dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two shears, which is about 24 pounds of seed. He arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. And then he said, do it again. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did a third time. And then the water ran down around the altar and even filled up the trench. Now, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward saying, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back. That's what repent means, turning their hearts back again. 
And then, can you imagine this? The fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and <laughs> the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Now, this has to be one of the most amazing stories of courage that's in the Bible. Elijah set, set up these unbelievable odds against himself to simply prove that God is a big God. And, and a total of 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah that were there versus one man. But it really wasn't one man. It was a big God that was with Elijah. And that's the point there, guys. You see, God gave him the courage he needed needed uh which was in spite of his fears right there at carmel and god will give you the courage you need he'll give you the courage you need to bust down some walls that are hemming you in it's time that you get some carmel courage yeah. you know men you know it's kind of a manly day today and so elijah's a manly guy uh, it's it's father's day but men, i i want to especially challenge you to move out of mediocrity and and and, and get gutsy and start to live with courage I like what Nelson Mandela said. He was probably one of the most courageous leaders of the 20th century. He, he spoke these words. He said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not the one who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. I want to conquer the fear in my life. I want to have that bold, caramel courage, don't you? Today, some of you, are, you're going to make the choice to make some bold, courageous moves. It's going to jolt your life out of the ordinary and, in, and away from the intrepidatious and into something new. Because courage can be yours in spite of your fears. But it's a decision and it's a choice. And it's made possible via a very big God. So courage that will help you to make that relationship commitment. Maybe it's the courage to start that business you're supposed to start or, or that courage to end a toxic relationship, possibly even the courage to provide for your family, courage to discipline yourself, courage to discipline your children, courage to break out of inferiority, courage to wage war on anything that would harm your family. Carmel courage to stand up for God and for righteousness when you're greatly outnumbered. How does it happen? Well, this is, it's this way. A big God equals big courage. We need to start seeing our God for who he is. And to simplify, he's big. He's very big. He is a big God, and he will give you big courage. The, the problem is we tend to make God small. See, we actually minimize and shrink God's effectiveness due to our own fears and insecurities. In fact, even when Jesus was in his hometown, he could hardly do any miracles you know so we have the ability to make god small and see when you have problems and you you give in to these wrong attitudes you're actually shrinking god see a small god is caused by a fear of rejection think well if i don't go out partying with the rest of the guys i'm gonna lose my social standing at work i don't want to be rejected I, I always fail if failure is just who i am everybody's better than me i'm a mess i'm a loser i'm not good enough i don't have enough intellect i don't even have a bachelor's degree or no one ever taught me or maybe my dad was never there for me and your excuses for inaction though what they're basically saying is, is that your issues and your fear of rejection is bigger than God. You have just shrunk God down. And that won't work. You're not going to be a man of courage that way. See, if you have a small God like that, basically what you're doing is you're, you're giving in to the fear of the unknown. 
where you're saying, well, I don't even know what's going to happen. The worst always happens to me. Uh, you know, if I propose and marry this lady uh, th- that I've been dating for the past uh, 10 years, you know, marriage might not work out. And so I don't know, you know, if I stand up for what's right, I might get fired. But see, the fears of the unknown keep your God small. If you have a small God, you'll never have big courage. Our attitudes of fear, it shrinks God's effectiveness and the ability to empower us to be courageous. Small God is basically that fear of failure. Like, I don't want to stu- look stupid. You know, if, if I fail, it could cost me so much. See, fear of failure keeps God small. And really, all these things are fear of other people and what other people are going to say, think, and do. A small God means no courage. I'm just want to say, it's time we get rid of our small gods, like Baal and Asherah. Get rid of those, just like Elijah did at Mount Carmel. And I'm challenging you to be courageous, utilizing a big God. I'm encouraging you to do like Elijah did, and just simply have that Carmel courage. I know what you're saying. Well, Elijah was a big, tough prophet. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. Because the Bible doesn't say that he was superhuman. No, it doesn't say that. In fact, James 5.17 says this, Elijah was a human being even as we are. You see that? The New Testament says there's nothing special about Elijah. He's just the same as you and me. It says, so what he did though is he just had that carnal courage and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. After he prayed, the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. See, it was simple faith in a big God. You see, Elijah's carnal courage was really something that was caused by his big God. And you can have that caramel courage as well, I'm telling you, to, to stop shrinking God with your fear of failure, fear of the unknown, fear of rejection, fear of people. We serve a big God, guys. Big God equals big courage. Fear will always paralyze you. It will always paralyze you and stop you even from acting on God's behalf. But that courage, that, you know, that, that caramel courage backed by a big God motivates and mobilizes us to live courageously for Jesus regardless of what could potentially happen around us or to us. See, Elijah simply had faith in a big God, and that's when his carnal courage took over. He's a big God, and he loves you. See, Jesus himself said it this way. Preston shared this scripture earlier. He didn't know this is my message today, but look. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Where? In me. In this world you will have trouble. But Take heart. Take heart. You know what take heart means? That means get a control on your emotions and your mind. Stop letting those fears of man drive you down. Because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. See, Jesus overcame so we can overcome. It's not your courage anyway. It's actually God working in you and through you because that's really what carnal courage is. It's, what, it's, it's what's so cool about this is, is that with Elijah, this is, this is amazing, is, is God was with Elijah. In fact, even God was upon Elijah. But later on in the Bible, because of Jesus, God then sent his Holy Spirit so that God would no longer just be with us or upon us, but God would live in us. God would dwell in us. Elijah didn't get that. See, we have it better than Elijah our big God lives in us. That big God is going to give you some big courage. No more fear of man. No more people pleasing. You know, Elijah was able to overcome his, uh, that, that fear of man because of his carnal courage because he just simply knew that he served a big God. 
And you say, well, you know, fear, man, I, I don't know about that. I, I, well, it's, it's not just the fear of what a person may do to you, but the fear of man is the fear of losing favor. It's the fear of losing someone's love. It's the fear of losing someone's help. It's the fear of even losing a friend. And Elijah could have given in to the fear of man so that he could have approval or so that he wouldn't be persecuted and made fun of. But if he would have caved, Elijah would have always been weak. We'd never have Elijah as an example of that calmal courage of a big God. He never would have been a hero. So to cure this, this fear, this fear of man that we have, we have, the Bible says we just begin to take delight in the Lord and we have faith in our big God. So courage isn't perfection. Courage is just simply stepping out into the battle, not sure of what's going to happen, but acting boldly to do the right thing, knowing that you serve a big God. It's time to break out of that fear. It's time to stop keeping God small in your life. Let's make God big. I'd like for there to be no movement at this time. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you have, you've never really surrendered your life completely to Jesus. Or maybe over the course of time you've just um, drifted away from your relationship with God. And if you want to know this Jesus I'm talking about, if, you, if you're ready for a new beginning, if, if you want to move forward, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And if you want to be included in, in this closing prayer of mine, then I want you to do so and to surrender your life to Jesus. And the way to do that is just to simply lift your hand when I count to three, and that way I'll be able to connect my faith with yours. Because Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. He died for you so that you can have life eternal and everything changes today. One, two, three. Lift your hand for me. Please lift your hand so I can connect my faith with yours. And let's pray that prayer. Give your life to Jesus Christ today. Make things right with him before we leave this room. Great, I want everyone to stand. Will you please stand? And I, what I want us to do if you lifted your hand, I want you, along with everyone else in this room, to pray this prayer with me, please. Pre please pray it aloud, everyone in this room. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you're the Son of God. Please forgive my sins. Today I give up my past, and I embrace the future that you have for me. I confess you are a big God. Thank you for courage in spite of my fears. In Jesus' name, amen. City Life is able to continue making Jesus known through the consistent investments of many. If you would like to invest financially into the vision, you can do so at citylifecenter.org. Simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thank you for listening to this week's message from City Life Church. You can stay connected through Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday.